Well, holy shit, I actually managed to do it. After procrastinating for ages, I finally managed to produce an audiobook version of the Lunatic Fringe book. It's currently available on all Amazon sites, audible.com, and shortly on iTunes. And if you're the page-turning type, it's also, of course, still available in Kindle form, paperback, and uh, hardback on Amazon. Ten hours and ten years worth of Blue Skies Magazine's articles, all available to you right fucking now, including a few author's notes and even an apology or two. Enjoy. In a world... Mate, hold up. We said we're done with the serious intros. Who's it? Well, we did. I don't remember that. Well, I said it, and you're me, so, you know. Well, I don't care. In a world... Uh, hey, I told you. We're keeping it light. You do it on your own, then. Well, technically, I already am, so... Anyway, fuck yeah, pure wild flight. Get it down, ya. How good? Visit nzaerosports.com. I get to do the next one. Well, obviously, you moron, we both do. Of course. I absolutely love the NZ Aerosports business model. I mean, come on. One glance at an Icarus fuck yeah sticker and you know it lines up perfectly with the fucking pilot mentality. But outside their wonderful use of colorful language and a great company vibe, there's a long list of reasons to say NZ Aerosports fuck yeah. NZ Aerosports blows me away right out of the gate as a canopy manufacturer with a bold offer. They give you 10 jumps on your brand new nylon to decide if you want to keep it swap it out, or even return it for a refund. I mean, seriously, how incredible is that? That's like getting halfway through a prom and deciding you prefer the slightly racier date that goes down faster. Seriously, they do that. If you're not madly in love with your new canopy after 10 jumps, they'll let you swap it out for another size or model, or even get your money back. And the range of canopies they've got? Man, they've got a style canopy to fit every jumper and every situation with models you know and trust like the Sapphire 3, the perfect choice for the beginner or intermediate canopy pilot, the Crossfire 3 when you're ready to kick it up that elliptical notch, the JFX 2 if you're looking to up your new swoop game, the Leia as the workhorse and dirt water dirt beast, or the Petra. The Petra cranks out crazy power and is nothing short of a record breaker. But hey, it's not always about speed either. Take the Kraken. Built as a low pack volume canopy specifically with wingsuiting in mind, she gives you all the performance you're looking for with the reliability you need that'll have you itching for that next formation, rodeo, or puffy cloud. So, the equipment is top-of-the-line kick-ass stuff, as you already know, but how about the team? Well, the customer service gang is there to sort you out whenever you need them. Maddie and Beto are always there to help with Jen holding the reins. They're available for you at sales at nzaerosports.com, and they've got a kick-ass live chat tool on the website if you're wanting to hit someone up right away. These are the crew you're going to want to talk to to get those custom orders in. With the stock nylon, once you know what you want, they'll have that shit on a FedEx truck as soon as the credit card machine says approved and get you in the air in no time. For your custom orders, you'll be able to get a time frame for building and shipping when you design it, so get to it. And demos. They've got demos in the U.S. available from their partner Rock Sky Market. 
The whole U.S. demo fleet is there with Sapphire 3, Crossfire 3, Kraken, JFX2, and Leia canopies in a range of sizes. They also offer student and tandem demos in the U.S. Bottom line, every step of the way, NZ Aerosports is there to get you what you need, and I personally couldn't be happier to be teamed up with them here on Lunatic Fringe. And now, time to get started with Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you proudly by NZ Aerosports. Fuck yeah! Coming straight from the cockpit, it's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go! Back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void. Once again, the magic of the internet bringing me an old friend. Tell me, who the fuck are you and what do you do? Hey, my name's uh, Chris Kleinhens. Uh, fly professionally for one of the larger cargo companies in the United States uh, on the 747 now. Uh, before that, flew some corporate for about three years. And then I was over at uh, uh, Company X in Dubai. Probably figure that one out. Uh, did that for a while. Uh, and then flew RJs for six years and flew some shitty little cargo airplanes for a company for a little bit and flight instructed. So there's there's 17 years or something in 30 seconds. That's a fair amount of time in the air, man. And a 747, yeah. fuck me, that's a big bird. Yeah, she's a big girl. Is that intimidating? Um, No, it's... Uh, it's uh it's humbling when you walk up to it you can't believe you fly the thing yeah you know what i mean when you're a, when you're a you're a kid you you dream of flying something like that and then when you're actually doing it it's kind of surreal and especially when you're in the airplane you know uh the the cockpit the 747 is actually not that big it's smaller than a 777 it's smaller than a 767 it's smaller than an md11 because of the slope of that of the cockpit and the way the nose is Right. With the cargo underneath it. So you bang your head more in a 747 cockpit than you do in a lot of these other ones. So <laughs> you kind of you kind of forget what you're flying half the time until you walk up to it and you got to go up three flights of stairs, you know. Yeah, man. I mean, in another life I worked ground for United Airlines and I had one opportunity to push back a 74 from the gates in Vegas and it's the only airplane where in the tug the nose as you're facing the tail is so far behind you that you got to turn around to see it. Yeah, it's yeah. it's you're pushing a fucking city block and just doing that <laughs> was terrifying and also super exciting as well so i can't imagine what it must be like to get pushed back and start taxiing a fucking neighborhood around <laughs> yeah. it's uh it, it's very cool it's um beautiful airplane flies well uh obviously just uh you know obviously there's a little bit of the ego involved for any pilot and if they say there's not they're lying to you sure but uh yeah it is cool to fly a, now, a 747. they don't build them anymore though right no they just stopped the last i believe the last one just came off the assembly line maybe a month month or two ago wow and the, last, the last four of them went to atlas and then and then we took a couple of them before that but yeah they just stopped producing the dash eights they're done well, I mean, a lot of the 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 fleet that are in the air, are, these are not new aircraft. <laughs> I mean, no, been, no. 
these, that was always the funniest thing. You, you talk to people that don't know anything about aviation and they think all these shiny jets are like brand new, came off the assembly line like two years ago. And they don't realize that half those jets were built before they were born. Yeah. Yeah. We got some, we got some from the, from the nineties and yeah, they got, they got a little long in the tooth, a few of them, but yeah, um, but they do the trick, man. They still, they still do the job. And, uh, you know, that's one thing about Boeing, especially with the triple seven and the seven four, they're like the big John Deere's of the sky. They just, they're very reliable. Yeah. They're incredibly not, not as sophisticated or technologically, uh, evolved as you would think. Sure. Uh, it's quite a basic airplane when you really get down to it, hmm. which makes it somewhat easy to fly and very reliable. And nice. That's, that's kind of what they've been going after, you know? So. Sure. Well, I mean, I, I, I preach into the choir in regard to that. I mean, the Twin Otter obviously is my favorite airplane in the world, and that's she's a basic bitch. <laughs> I a, wish I would have got to sit up there with you, man. We, sh- I should have oh. should have gone for a flight with you because I've I've never flown a Twin Otter, and it's always been on the on the bucket list. You oh know? man, it's she's just such a great plane to fly, and I mean, hell, the my favorite Twin Otter of all time to fly was built two years before I was born. You know, and, well, and I'm, I'm not exactly a spring chicken anymore. <laughs> yeah, they've been around for a bit, huh? Yeah, but I think they did, right? Went, if me and you went flying together, I don't know if we'd we'd be here to be talking about this right now. We'd no. Different, different jobs. Different, yeah. <laughs> I'd, different I, paths. <laughs> I don't think we would have bent it, but we sure would have bent our careers. <laughs> so, uh. It's like, it's like kink in the equation. Yeah. So we're going to back it way up and, and go way before you were flying airplanes. Um, when did you start doing stupid shit, like extreme stuff? When uh, when did you decide that it wasn't all uh, corporate? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, a psychologist asked me what my earliest childhood memory was a while back, and you're getting into those getting into those depths of the, nice. the memory banks. Uh, boy, just stupid and shit in general. I don't. You know, there are certain people that are attracted to a career field like being a pilot or in skydiving and stuff like that. And obviously we're wired slightly differently. And yep. Um man, I don't know, doing stupid shit as a kid, yeah. Like all the time. Um hijacking construction equipment in the neighborhood that we live, because <laughs> you know, we, we we my mom bought it. I was just going into high school, I think I was like 13. 12 going on 13 or something like that and you know i don't know just going out and there's all this construction equipment just left behind in the neighborhood because it's a new subdivision and just figuring out ways to get those things running and take them on some joy rides around the thing and i wouldn't say we we're doing any like heavy earth moving or anything but uh <laughs> We, we had so, some fun, but so it sounds to me like uh, um, we had a similar path in that there, uh, one or two more left turns, and and I would have ended up in jail, not as a pilot. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I had a little dirt bike when I was a kid, and you know, obviously the I don't I don't think the the neighbors or neighborhood were as fan of as big a fan of my my dirt biking prowess as I was. So you know, remember running from the police. I probably shouldn't say that, but you know, I was <laughs> I, I was a kid, but. You know, you see, you hear the cops coming. You, of course, you bail and you know, run through the alley and the back of roads. Course. Park the bike in the backyard, get it in the shed as fast as possible. Get in the house and act like nothing happened, and hope. Yep. <laughs> hope they didn't know where it came from. You know, but 
<laughs> you know, nothing serious, but yeah, I guess you're not supposed to have dirt bikes on the city roads or whatever. So yeah, fair enough. I mean, hey, that's a, a bygone era because that sounds almost quaint to me at this I point. Think, I mean, I think for you growing up or me growing up, it was like you piss the parents off. They're like, go play in traffic, get out of the house. Oh yeah, go climb, man. Go climb, go climb a tree, get out of here. You know, and, absolutely. I mean, that well, was the we, the the biggest two words you'd ever hear were go outside get out of my house yeah let's go so uh, how did peanut butter what's that i'll back uh, a peanut butter jelly sandwich and don't come back until dinner get out of here you know? yeah, yeah we'll come home when the street lights come on that was <laughs> it man so how did jumping enter your life um air force academy really so, yeah at some point um i guess i'll go back it's kind of a cool story so, I mean, based off what I've already told you, obviously, um, I was, my parents split up at a, a, a fairly early age, got divorced, uh, dad bailed, moved down to Florida. And, um, I was just not on the, not on the right path, Sure, you know? So, um, luckily my mom got me involved in a program called partners, which okay. is very similar to like big brothers, big sisters. Okay. And what they do is they hook up, um, what they call as at risk youth. Okay. With like an adult uh, father figure. Uh, so you have like a role model and, you know, something like that, especially for a lot of like split families. Sure. So uh, while I was waiting for that to be paired up, because they take their time, they put a lot of effort and research and due diligence in making sure that these kids get paired up with an adult that's going to be a good match. Right. You right. Know, based off interests and goals and whatnot. So. I was waiting to be paired up and uh, uh, apparently my memory wasn't great at the time, but um, the director of this organization had won a flight like in a 172 as a white, uh, not a white Christmas, but like um, an auction, a okay. charity, charity auction. And so she was like, which kid deserves it? Who's who's done something great recently with their life or is making progress and i had somehow started to turn my grades and you know start to get my shit straight a little bit so i got a flight in this 172 and uh that was in longmont and just fell in love with flying mm. i was like this was just unbelievable sure. um, so um that was really cool and then i started um kind of dog sitting for this guy taking care of his dog he was a businessman traveled and he would just take me flying every now and again. Mm. And then uh, one thing led to another and came from, we didn't have much money in the family. And so if I was going to go to college, it was either going to be massive student loans or I needed to get a scholarship or an appointment to an academy. Sure. So grew up playing ice hockey in Colorado and spent some time down at the academy down in Colorado Springs and just loved it. And, you know, this is when Top Gun was in full swing. And <laughs> I think every kid wanted to be a fighter pilot. So, yeah, yep. um, man, something just clicked. And I really um, just started to put things on the right path. And one thing led to another, ended up getting an appointment to the Air, Air Force and Naval Academy, decided to go to the Air Force Academy. And after your first, after your plebe year, or freshman year, you get to choose basically soaring uh, you know, gliding or jumping. Wow. And I naturally was just, let's go jump because <laughs> they have one of the coolest 
programs in the world. Um, I think it's still the only place where your first jump is a solo unassisted free fall. You're not static. You're not tandem. You're not AFF. You are by yourself. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, they do. Um, it's, 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 it's fucking gnarly. Yeah. And where's I, the logic still, in that? <laughs> man, I just went back from my 20 year reunion and we went down to the, to the parachuting team facility and, uh, it's just amazing what they do, the level of training. I mean, it's intense. They go through over a week of just ground school and emergency procedures and hanging sure. harness. Like it's taken very seriously and they do a great job at it. And their, their safety record is fantastic. But I still remember seeing my videos because they do ground, uh, ground to air video right. of all the jobs and you get graded. And, uh, you know, especially I ended up on the jump team eventually. And when you're sitting there grading some students and it's just tumbling and some people just don't click, they, they, if that keeps up, obviously they get washed out of the program. But I mean, I've seen, I've seen, you know, people's lines all (laughs) over the place. And you just wonder why, how are they under a fully functioning canopy right now? It's, it's somebody's overlooking that. (laughs) that I'm just... But uh, so that was my first jump. That was in 1998, 1999. And you get five jumps jumps in the program. And then you'll get the wings. They're like the same wings as the Army has on the Airborne. There's no differentiation between the two. It's just a different program. And then at the end of that summer, you can come back and try out to compete to be on the skydiving team. And the primary goal um, of the Air Force Academy's parachuting team is character development, um, and recruiting. Mm. And so we jump into the football games, we'll jump into air shows, demos and stuff like that. So they look at your grades, your military performance. Uh, there has to be some personal recommendations. There's a physical fitness test and then obviously an interview process. Uh, so made it onto that. And so your, your first semester as a sophomore, you, then you go through AFF, and you'll spend the whole first semester, that fall semester, just learning how to become a, a real sky, like a skydiver. Mm. And then after that, your spring semester, you learn how to be a jump master and an instructor. Mm. And so at the end of it, that's called the Wings of Green. That's your your sophomore year. Then you'll make it on to the Wings of Blue parachuting team. And that's that's what you'll spend your junior and senior year on. So um, then you'll choose either you're going to be on the demo track do the football games and, and other demos, parades or whatnot, or the competition track. Uh, I chose the competition side of things because the secret, not really secret, but uh, the competition guys gave up their Thanksgiving to train. And then Christmas, they gave up their Christmas break to go to collegiate nationals. And then we all, both teams, demo and comp team, gave up spring break to train down in Gila Bend, Arizona. So basically, you gave up almost all of your breaks uh, to jump, but you ended up with a lot more jumps, obviously. Sure. And of course, as you know, to do the the big demos, you have to have a pro rating. Yep. Well, to have a pro rating, you have to have 500 jumps. A lot of the demo guys wouldn't get the jump numbers to get the pro rating, so the comp that guys ended up doing them anyway. <laughs> so, um, so that was the first four years and that was uh three years and that was about i don't know four or five hundred jumps wow competing and stuff like that so very blessed to to be a part of that team and you know great sure. great 
great individuals. And, you know, obviously Uncle Sam paid for a lot of that. Just fantastic learning sure. experience that kind of set a foundation for other things, you know? Well, I love that you said that uh, um, one of the absolute goals of the team is recruitment. Man, if the military does nothing else right, they found a way in our lifetimes to make the cool factor off the charts. Um, yep. You know, I mean, they found these amazing ways to show off um, some of the highlights of the military to draw people in. I was, uh, and I definitely use this word intentionally, I fell victim to the Top Gun era because uh, I joined the Navy because of that fucking movie. Actually, oh, yeah. I joined the Navy <laughs> because I was trying to get laid with a girl that really liked the movie. Um, but it all it boiled down to the same thing. And the military does an incredible job with that because, I mean, let's yeah. face it, a lot of the stuff that the military does is really fucking cool. Yeah. So absolutely. and j- jumping out of airplanes is one of them. So it's 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 kind of yeah. neat that they that they do it like that, but they also extend opportunities. Um, so guys like you can you know come up in the sport. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, uh, I couldn't have done it without that. I mean, I I, I didn't have the money, and I I didn't know anything about it, and fate kind of, fate <laughs> and a little bit of hard work kind of brought me into it, and then. Sure. It's been all downhill after that. But now because it was with the academy, those were USPA sanctioned jumps. Oh yeah. Okay, because yeah, I know military jumps don't count towards um your AFF or anything like that. You basically have to do another version of it if you've only done military jumps. Um, but yours being in college did count. Yeah, it's it's kind of goofy because you get you get the wings just like an airborne guy does doing static line out of a C-130. Mm. We never jumped with any equipment like rucksacks. We did. We never jumped around. We were jumping sport parachuting equipment the whole time. I mean, my my main rig was an old Talon II with a classic 259. Great rig. This was the days of uh, classic classic accuracy and style. Yep. So, yeah. I got to, I got to wear those suits and <laughs> if I went back through it, I got a trunk of shit. I could probably find a photo wearing that thing. It's not oh. sexy that much. Those frat hats and oh man, frat hats and goggles and style suits and snot all over your 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 <laughs> goggles. Well, oh, man. So you start jumping, you bang out 400 and something jumps. You end up qualified as an instructor. Um, you're doing demos. You're doing competition stuff. What happens after the academy? I uh, went off down to um, Wichita Falls, Texas. I got commissioned and went to do civil engineering. I couldn't fly in the military, actually. My eyes kind of went bad um, through college. Wow. And towards the end, when they, they do your medical to assess whether or not you're, you're pilot qualified, uh, my eyes had gotten to a point where my astigmatism was outside of the standards. Oh, that must have been a so, gut punch, dude. A little bit little bit and i i kind of knew it going into the academy i i knew that i was already borderline mm. but you know the they're they're doing their job too uh you sure. know, trying to recruit and so and they weren't lying but it's all about the needs of the air force or the military at the time of sure. when you're coming out of the pipeline so one minute you could not be qualified the next minute they need a lot of people and they're handing out waivers and exception of policies left and right so i didn't yeah, I, I didn't want to give up that opportunity just because it wasn't a sure thing because sure. going to going to the Naval Academy is even worse because they just don't have many people going into the pilot track. 
Right. So their their medical requirements are actually typically a little bit more stringent than the Air Force because we mm. just produce so, so many more pilots. Sure. Um, so, yeah, it, it was. But I, I quickly realized that sitting at a desk doing engineering work and, and PowerPoint and meetings and politics and um, the, the office environment wasn't wasn't really for me. Sure. Uh, especially when I could hear the airplanes and the pattern because they do. They do military pilot training down there in T-38s and T-37s at the time. Right. And I, I was just like, I can't. This isn't for me. So just started flying before and after work, 4.30, 5.30 in the morning. Um, ended up finishing my private pilot's license, I think, when I was 21, 22 or something like that. And then I just went straight into it. I was very lucky that um, there was a, an organization down there that was led by some military instructor pilots that were reservist. Mm. So they did that part time. And then they did the civilian flying the other part of the time. Nice. I got, I got to learn from some highly qualified, you know, high, high caliber individuals. Sure. And got the instrument rating. And then it was, uh, you know, the standard effort of everybody trying to get that to that 250 hours. You're kind of just left there just going, <laughs> shit, what do I do now? Like, I don't have the money to sit there and rent a, a 172 or a Cherokee for the next, you know, 180 hours to get up to the 250. But uh, very fortunate, uh, a contact uh, who owned a, a small airport outside of town, a uh, very small airport. He had he's into airplanes and he bought a little 1963 Cessna 150 mm. for his son to build time in. And the airplane was just sitting around. And uh, he was like, hey, man, if you want to come fly this 150, just put gas in it and, uh, you know, take care of it. And that's it. I don't I don't need any money or anything like that. So oh. I started flying that around and then I kind of skipped a little bit. I, I flew for I did Civil Air Patrol when I was a kid to help me get into the academy. And I did a flight encampment out at McClellan and sold when I was, I was 17 or something. So that's um, I rejoined Civil Air Patrol as an adult member. And you, then you got to fly 182 and did like low-level route surveys, trying to find antennas for the military. Mm. Uh, we did a little bit of the the space shuttle, um, which was that was it Discovery? My brain uh, explo <laughs> exploded and big old debris filled all over Texas. And yeah, it was Discovery, I think. Discovery. So we were out there looking for space shuttle parts, and it was just another way of building time. Sure. Uh, so between those two things, I ended up getting the. 250 hours eventually and then um went and got my cfi double i and the guy who owned that little airplane goes you want to teach in this same thing just teach maintain it ensure it have fun so <laughs> came back with my came back with my ratings uh and then he he took me out to lunch and he goes why don't you buy the airplane and i was like oh, oh. How much is it? I had no idea what I was getting into. I was like, how much is this airplane? You know, you always think airplanes are, you know, expensive. And uh, was, he, I got the airplane for $12,000. <laughs> now, this was no, this was no Cherry 150, okay? Right. Uh, you know, she had had some, she had some better days. But she did the trick. Right. You know, I mean, it was reliable. Um, and, uh the guys who taught me, they taught a program for the military called IFT, Introductory Flight Training. So all the military pilots got their civilian private pilot's license before showing up into military training. Mm. 
He did that and decided he was going to go back into full-time status. So then because he had trained me and knew me, and I guess believed in me, he started to feed me all these IFT guys. So next thing I knew, I was flying whatever the maximum was. I think it's eight hours a day. Yeah. I was doing eight hours a day with these highly motivated, very smart uh, military guys, brand new lieutenants in the Air Force, guys around my age. And we just had a ball, man. Taught these I guys bet. how to fly a little 150. The Air Force, you know, paid the bills on time. And that's how I got up to the time to be able to move into other professional flying. So, Well, I'll tell you what, too. The best thing about the military guys, and I wouldn't know pilot-wise, but I definitely know jumper-wise, is uh, I, I used to love it as an instructor, an AFF instructor, when you'd have a guy come out that wanted to learn how to jump that was military. Because, you know above and beyond anything else, this guy's going to fucking do what you tell him to do. And it's amazing. Yeah. They, they listen and they don't have to understand why they're doing it as long as yeah. they've been told and they'll fucking do it. And then they yeah. go, Oh, that's why he told me to do this. or yeah. that's why he told me not to do that. It's amazing. So you see them yeah. coming through the door and you're like, Oh, it's going to be easy. <laughs> yeah. It was easy work for the most part. It was, it was fantastic. And if those dudes didn't, if they didn't do well, with me and get their license they didn't go to military pilot training Ooh, they got washed out and this was their full-time job was to study how to be study the old jepson book on how to be a private pilot <laughs> and so i mean these guys these guys knew they knew the books you know left and right yeah and they were highly motivated and because it was their full-time job they wanted to fly as much as they could and get it done it was beautiful loved it now, where did uh, where did jumping fit in during all of this? It didn't. There was no. <laughs> so this is one of the gaps in the, the old jumping um, career. So it came out of the academy, and then I didn't. I didn't do any. I don't think I did any in Texas. Maybe I went down to Spaceland like a handful of times, two or three times, but I fell out of the sport. Mm. Um, I mean, I had my rig. I never sold my rig. Um, so I, I fell out of it until I was married to another Air Force chick. And she was down at the same place I was down in Wichita Falls, Texas with pilot training. She got A-10s and we moved out to um, Tucson. She was flying A-10s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's a beast of a plane. I don't want to talk about it, but yeah. God damn, that's a sexy plane. Uh, yeah, no, it's fantastic. Man. I got to see some. I got to see some of her HUD footage over oh. in Iraq, which is a whole different story. And uh, later on, the next assignment, she went out to North Carolina, and I got to go out onto the range with the uh, TACPs and and watch her get called in and, and do some strafing. And it was, it's badass. It's badass. <laughs> There's no other sound like that. No, no, man. I mean, I've That's only cool. ever seen fucking videos, and I get a, I get a semi every time I see it because it's just so badass. <laughs> It's the gnarliest, most ridiculous, like, sound you'll ever hear. And it just oh. makes the hair on the back of your neck just stand up. And it's just like, don't want to be on the receiving end of that one. No, man. I mean, it's a cannon with wings. That's it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that was cool, man. Uh, so we went to Tucson. And then I started going up to Eloy and Marana. Mm. And so I was slowly getting back into it. Um, yeah. Slowly getting back into it. And then long story short, uh, everything was pretty slow until we moved to Vegas. 
Um, she got pulled out of the A-10 and had to go fly Predator Reapers. So we went out to Creech. And while I was there, I mean, I just, something pulled me back into the sport. And I just go, I'm, I'm missing it. And like, what a waste to take all those jumps and not do something with it, you know? Sure. So a buddy uh, owned Skydive Las Vegas. Uh, I didn't know him. He was well before my time, but he was on the same jump team in the Air Force. Hmm. So he, he owned Skydive Las Vegas. And uh, so I went and got my tandem rating. Is this Brent? Yep. Buckner, yeah. <laughs> Such a small fucking world. Buckner yeah. and I chucked drugs together at Skydive Las Vegas back when Michael Hawk still owned the place. Oh, really? Nice. I've, nice. I've known Buckner my entire time in the sport. Nice. Cheers no, to Brent. He, 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 yeah, cheers. He uh, he treated me very well and uh, went and flew, did some drugs for him. And so that at least got me back in the sport because there wasn't much sports skydiving out in Vegas. I think you had to go up to what, Mesquite? Mesquite or, or do the drive down to Paris Valley. Yeah, yeah. So no, on my days off, I just go down there and go mountain biking with the boys in the morning because in the winter in Vegas, it's actually, it's damn cold. Yeah. So we, we'd go do downhill mountain biking and then go throw drugs in the afternoon and drink beers after that. And it was, it was a lovely combination. So oh, yeah, that was, that's how I got back into it. And then, uh, shit, then came the divorce and a couple other, I changed, upgraded and went down to Houston and then I went to Dubai. Nice. And, uh, well, that's where you and, and I met. Yep. Because yep. I think the I think the first time you and I met, you were wearing a was it a blue wingsuit? Oh, I don't know. You were flying Maybe. a wingsuit, having fun. I was chasing you out the door, and and uh, um, then of course found out that you were an American and a pilot as well. And I mean, then then there's a whole yeah. bunch of shit to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Never forget your sleeve, man. That was no, like, oh, man. Good shit. <laughs> were you so? How did you balance that? I mean, because you were a full time jet jock. You're you're flying for airlines out there and and traveling all around the world. And uh, but I would see you at the drop zone all the time. I mean, sure. is is it a tough balance trying to? Because I mean, you fly a fair amount, and there's a lot of jet lag involved. I don't know that I would have been the first one to head to the drop zone to get back on a plane. Uh, well, when I first, when I first got over there, the schedules weren't bad. Mm. I mean, those, those were the good days, you know, you do a long flight to Australia or the States or down to, you know, Brazil or something like that, do something up to Europe or Africa, and then maybe do one or two kind of, um, shorter flights to Saudi or India or whatnot. And it really wasn't a bad schedule. You know, you had, I don't know, 13, 16 days off a month. So there was time to go, there was time to go play. Um, you know, I remember we'd take off and go up to, you know, be with a girl I was dating or whatnot and just go to the airport and find, find a destination up in Europe, go for two days and come back. We used to have the time for that later on that all, that all went away. Sure. And it, it became harder to balance that. But yeah, man, there, there were times, um, me and me and my buddies, we'd, come off a flight or whatever he somebody would have the day off and the other one just landed at you know a lot of those flights land at five in the morning or whatnot you go home have a have a shower have a good cup of coffee and you just go to the drop zone and you're half cross-eyed yeah you know and but if you dude we're so stoked on jumping at that time like i totally got reinvigorated on it um like like we mentioned you know all the a teams out there 
Craig, Eliana, Fred, Vince, you know, all the, everybody's out there. And it oh, was yeah. Just, Micah, Noah, it, all of them. Mike, no, the it was just like, you know, the heyday of skydiving. And you're just surrounded by these people. And it's like, you got to take advantage of it. Oh, yeah. This is a, a once in a lifetime opportunity. And got into the tunnel. You know, the tunnel was built. That thing was gorgeous, is gorgeous. Yeah. You know, now we got the other climb or whatever, which I haven't been in yet, but holy shit. Yeah. Uh, um, well, I remember the yeah. first time, uh, the first time I looked down at a load sheet flying in the desert and I saw Olaf Zipser's name on there. And I'm like, you've got to be fucking yeah. kidding me. This is yeah. ridiculous. How many times would you be on a load with like the gold star names in, in skydiving, just shooting the shit with you? It's insane. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll never forget one of the. I think it might have been the first Winterfest, or something like that. And we're all around the bonfire out the desert, and you're literally like looking around, and you're like, "What <laughs> in the exact fuck is going on here?" You know, like, I mean, yeah, Olaf was out there. All the all the legends, and it's um, man, if you've been in the sport long enough, and you know who those people are, like you just want to surround yourself with them, you know, oh, yeah. you want to, you want to tap into that. So it's like, you just got like this huge, just shot of like skydiving stoke and skill by being around these people and getting into the tunnel and getting coaching with them. And like, I, I, I did, you know, quite a few jumps with Noah, you know, and it was yeah. just, ah, can't do that today i mean you can but i mean the effort to go travel around and chase these guys around and everybody's in different places oh yeah it was oh man getting canopy coaching from from nick all the right. time you know nick was always coming out there and training people and it's i remember uh, uh, um going and and getting coaching from micah in um the royal family's private wind tunnel uh and <laughs> halfway through it it dawns on you where you're at because you're looking out the wind tunnel and there's these beautiful tables and and there's hors d'oeuvres on the tables and and people sipping beverages and watching you fly and there's micah is teaching me how and i'm like this is, this is the craziest fucking thing yeah. ever yeah it was badass yeah i hit home with uh one of the one of the best memories was uh took off and went up to uh, uh scott i voss for the for the boss free fly fest and man I, I was just you know trying to learn how to how to free fly i don't even think i could have i don't think i was flying head down at the time and i went up there and i think i was jumping a comp velo 96 so slowly starting to work down in the old canopy progression and uh you know mock tune went up there the whole the whole team went up there right and, and next thing i know you know sitting in one of the houses um oh god what's the couple the norwegian couple um <laughs> ah, world they were world champions in free too fly too many um, names yeah anna anna i anna mox yeah she's Mox. actually she's my boss i write for her with the edge agency <laughs> oh no shit yeah awesome so we're sitting i'm sitting in her house and like they're sitting there planning like a canopy swoop down the down the mountain in Gudvagen or whatever it is, you know. And I'm and they're like, come. And I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, come on, follow us, just follow us. <laughs> right. So I follow, I just just stayed right behind Kai Kai. 
all the way down, man. They just guided me down in between the rocks and down that, down that, not gulch, whatever you want to call it, big V in the mountain. Right. Just zigzagging back and forth. And I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Like, right. I, get to go play, I get to go play with these guys, you know? Yeah, it's amazing. And it's, and it's all because the the Dubai connection and, and being around them. Oh, sure. You know? Well, I remember watching uh, uh, Mike and Maktoum and the gang were were starting to try and get real creative with their skydives because they had already just devastated the whole world with their tunnel skills and and done the same thing in the air. And they were so fucking far ahead that they're like, all right, let's just do some weird shit. We'll jump out with a really long bungee cord and, and try and slingshot. And you're like, what? Popping smoke inside the airplane and jumping out with a bungee cord and yanking each other around the sky and shit because they, they were out of ideas. They're like, fuck, yeah. it's time to get really creative, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'll never forget um, going up to Micah, um, I think – probably a year or so before he passed away. And I was kind of getting the itch to want to, to learn how to fly a wingsuit. Uh, And I'm, I asked him, I'm like, Hey, uh, you know, would, do you have opportunities or do you have time if you're ever out in the desert that maybe you could run me through a couple of wingsuit jumps and Micah being Micah is like, dude, I got a a fucking suit right here in in the back. You can just grab that and we'll go. And I'm like, it's probably a freak, you know, this massive fucking wing and no, you'll be fine, man. You'll be fine. And I'm like, uh, I'm good. Yeah. (laughs) But they had such talent that it was, it was almost difficult for them to wrap their head around the fact that somebody might not be able to pull off the shit that they do on a daily basis. Cause there was such talent there, but it was hilarious. Dude, but Micah and his just send it personality, man. What a what a soul. I did a jump with him up in up in Norway. And like I said, it was me and like one other person and can't can't really fly head down. Sit is eh, something. Something's happening there. Right. The three of us went out and he just came over to me, grabbed me, and we went flying, man. And I'll never forget his like, you know, his face. You know, he puts his like helmet right there and his glasses. Oh, yeah right in your face and just that smile and that intensity oh yeah man you know it's it's funny um obviously we've both been in the sport for quite a while and and having been in dubai for as long as we both were we've we've met a lot of people that aren't with us anymore but uh um every time i think especially of guys like micah all i feel is privileged right to have even gotten a little piece of that because fucking the energy and the skill and the just the the guy was just this rolling rainbow of joy. <laughs> he was happy yeah. all the time. I don't think I ever saw him pissed off. I don't think I did either. No, yeah. I mean, he, I'm sure he got pissed off, but I never fucking saw it. It was just a he was just a joy to be around. He was it, yeah. he was hilarious. Uh, him yep. and and uh, uh, Munting and Vince and all these amazing characters that oh, came yeah. through there. That yeah, it's a bummer that they're not here anymore. But I'm so glad yeah. I got to meet them. Yeah, it was a it was an honor and a privilege. You know, so not how to sound cliche, but no, it, it absolutely was. Now, how long were you in the sandbox for total? Seven years. All right, that's a long stretch. Yeah, it was a good, good run. I enjoyed it, you know, and kind of sad to see the changes happen at the end with the teams kind of going away and all, all that kind of stuff. But like you said, business is business, and they got to going to do what they're going to do. Oh yeah, so, I mean they they sparked a, a shitload of amazing teams and a, a hell of a lot of talent, both in the tunnel and the sky. Uh, but it wasn't it wasn't a sustainable business model. 
Um, uh, they had no choice but to transition away from just sponsoring all the badass skydivers and trying to turn a a, a dollar, you know, doing tandems. Yeah. And of course, yeah. the Palm is as iconic a tandem as you can get in the world. So, yeah. what are they charging for a tandem these days? I heard yeah. it's, it's even more insane. Yeah, so it's it's, like, I, think, I think it's like up to almost like a grand U.S. It's yeah, it's it's uh, uh I think it's three thousand Durham now 3,100 yeah. 3, drums so yeah just shy of a grand but yeah, i mean they, hey you you're paying for the the location right yeah and they do a damn good job at what they do i mean we know all the instructors are all good the, oh yeah the pilots were amazing <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about those guys are okay <laughs> they're all right they get by I mean, so now- their, their media like their media production thing of what they do for those guys in the video like it's they it's, took it they took it next probably level. the best yeah, yeah, they took it next level. I mean, uh, Skydive Dubai came on the scene for me when I started seeing the the uh, content that they were putting out uh, and then got a hold of Heath, the old chief pilot, who I'm sure you knew, um, yep. and uh, um, was blown away by what I was seeing and was like, uh, meanwhile, I'm working for this shitty little airline in the Caribbean going, <laughs> what am I yeah. doing with my life? I want to yeah. go back to yeah. flying jumpers. So so yeah. you're you're in Colorado now. Yep. You yep. dig yourself out of the snow? Yeah, I did this. Yeah, I did did <laughs> yesterday. But not, I don't know if you see all that out there. Yeah, there's a whole <laughs> lot of it. Well, now you're out there. you're uh, you're big into winter sports too, though. Yeah, I like to ski. Yeah, skiing skiing's my jam in the winter. So doing that. Now, how's the? You've been on a bit of a break from skydiving, but uh, uh, you said before we got on the podcast, you're looking for uh, an opportunity to get back in the saddle. Yeah, um, I've, I've done a handful of tandems out here while while I've been home to just kind of keep myself current and whatnot. Unfortunately, I let that expire uh, mm. this last year, but I did some coaching. I, um, uh, I got a buddy who's deaf mm. and... Um, and I did some coaching with him. So he did his AFF and then I kind of got him up through his license and whatnot. And so we're having fun. I'm trying to convince him to get his ass in the tunnel. Nice. Uh, you know, I think that when, when you're that new, he's concerned about the jump numbers because he wants to get his different licenses or whatever. But I, sure. I'm trying to tell him that like in the winter in Colorado is it's yeah, most of us, you know, kind of take a little bit of a, a break from, from the sky. Cause it's just, for sure. So uh, I like to do some stuff with him. Uh, it's where uh, I like to go do some aerobatic training in the airplane. That's so, what I was going to talk to you about because you're a working professional pilot. You've been in the air working for 17 years. You got the itch to fly when you were a kid, and you'll finish your roster flying cargo in a 747 and then go get in another fucking plane either to jump out of or to fly. You're kind of yeah. obsessed. Yeah. Some would say it's a, a problem. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's an addiction, but it's, uh, I don't know, man. I just like being in the air. Yeah. Well, I mean, you I'm, know? I'm looking at the little uh, model jet over your shoulder in the, in the video here, a couple of them. <laughs> yeah, there's a few of them up there. I got the same thing. You're actually, you're like a buddy of mine that uh, um, flew in cross keys way back in the day who owns a, a beautiful steerman that cross keys used to own. He actually bought it from the drop zone. And when he's not flying the airlines, he's in that damn steerman flying around and just absolutely yeah. can't get enough of it. But you recently started the aerobatic stuff, right? Yeah. I, 
so when I was, I went to an air camp when I was maybe 15 or something like that and, and five hours in a 152. And there was a, a UPS pilot on the airfield that gave away, I think, two rides to, to the kids. Uh, and he had a Great Lakes. It's a little two-place, fairly slow, um, fabric wing biplane. Mm. And I got to do a ride and him just do, you know, loop, a uh, uh, half cube in a roll or two. And I was just like, that was cool. <laughs> and so I've always had that itch. I honestly just never had the time or the financial resources or the, um, the availability to find an airplane wherever I was living. Cause as you know, in like Dubai, the financial resources were okay to go do some small airplane flying, but there's just not much of it over there. You know, sure. there's no place to go learn aerobatics. So no. this was kind of always in the, on the, on the back burner. And then finally I was just like, fuck it, go make this dream a reality. And mm. so went up to Longmont and there's a super decathlon. So I did a, like a 10 hour checkout in that getting the, the tailwheel skills up to snuff again and uh, learning some basic aerobatics up through the sportsman sequence and then you're kind of yeah aerobatics is very unique um there's not many places if any where you can go rent a highly aerobatic airplane solo right so the rest of the time if you want to go rent a, a pits or a super decathlon you can go with a super decathlon by yourself but uh i don't know many places if any like i said that will let you go up in a pits by yourself the insurance mm. is just the insurance is the issue sure and, and those airplanes they're, they're spicy little meatballs, man. It's, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's some of the scariest. Like the flying's fantastic, but the landings are uh, intense. You know what I'll I mean? Bet. And um, so you're kind of left with you either stop or you go buy an airplane. And so I started a, a checkout in the Pitts S2C. Um, and then uh, another guy had a, this an airplane called a Firebolt, which has a nice big io 540 over 300 horsepower engine three biplane like a lot of fun to fly it's a little bit of a bigger biplane um so it doesn't have quite like the roll rate of some of the other uh you know like smaller pits and whatnot so i ended up one thing led to another and i ended up buying this airplane and then finished my training getting checked out in that and it was a long process because of our 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 bitch friend covid uh, you know, he had COVID. I had COVID twice. He fell, he fell off a motorcycle, broke his hand. It's just, and it's a process. And when you're trying to get current and learn how to land these airplanes, um, you need that repetition. Yeah. And so it just took a while. That took almost kind of two, and the Colorado weather. So it took almost two years kind of getting comfortable in the airplane. And then last season did my first season competing, which was good. Um that's that's eye-opening it's a lot of fun um there's part of me it's like why are you always drawn to this shit and then i'm like i don't know like at the time i don't really like like sometimes the nerves of you know competition skydiving or competition flying you're just like this is psychotic <laughs> this, this, this isn't a good feeling like oh I, I i get to go take another i get to go take my eighth piss in 30 minutes before right. i go fly this airplane this is fantastic <laughs> you know what i mean but um but when you're done uh, oh yeah what what a what a feeling man and um 
I've found that the, the competition aerobatics is very similar to that side of skydiving. Mm. Um, it's the people. And because of just the, the stuff that we're attracted to, I find it to be a close knit group of folks. Sure. And it just becomes a, a bonding experience. And uh, there's a lot of volunteering. And basically, mm. I view it as we just get to go fly airplanes in front of our friends and let our friends sit there and judge us and tell us how shitty we are at flying. <laughs> you know? That's what it really boils down to. It's the same as skydiving. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it's been fun. Uh, my airplane's down for a little bit of maintenance after an annual. Found some stuff that we need to tidy up. Um, and then I'm going to put mine on the market and I've bought into a 50 share on a, a little pits S one S which is a smaller airplane. Um, it's got a smaller engine, but it's not half the weight, but almost. Wow. So it actually is a higher performing airplane has a higher roll rate and can take somebody up through intermediate level, um, aerobatics. So wow. it's, you start in primary, which is what I did this year. Uh, next season I'll do sportsman and then see where that goes. And then you'll go into intermediate after intermediate. I don't know if I'll go beyond intermediate cause you're really taking a, it, it's a huge commitment to get into advanced or unlimited level mm, aerobatics. I bet. Uh, the financial commitment to have that, um, high, high performing machine that you need to compete at that level, the physical commitment. Oh yeah. Of the, the body and the training and the G's. Um, and then the time. Sure. The time, you know, I, um, I do fly quite a bit, you know, and I'm, I'm based all the way up in Alaska. So I, I kind of get to spend a day getting to work and a day getting home, which mm. is the time away from home. But, uh, I was taking it day by day. Seeing, sure. Seeing where the, seeing where the adventure takes me. The Jesus stuff pulled in the aerobatic stuff is always where I wondered how I would fare because I've ridden along on some very mellow aerobatic stuff, um, nothing hardcore. Um, but I've definitely put myself in the corner in jump aircraft a couple of times where you start graying out a little bit and going, fuck, I wonder what uh I wonder what I just did there. Um, so I, I honestly, it was kind of funny because looking back as a kid, of course, the, the top gun era, you daydream about being a fighter pilot. Now as an old man, I'm like, no, no fucking way. <laughs> I think you would do better than you think. Um, I've had people say that before is that they've, they've done, it wasn't as aggressive as they thought it was going to be. But of course, especially when you've been as pi a pilot as long as I have and never done any aerobatics, um, you it, you build it up to be bigger than it probably is. Yeah, and that the G tolerance comes fairly quick. You know what I mean. So what, yeah. once you get into it, like if you haven't flown in a couple of weeks or a month, and you go out and go for a rip, but yeah, you'll you, you'll feel it. But I mean, <laughs> obviously the uh, the G straining techniques and whatnot, and then like you have a body that can handle aerobatics. Well, sure. tall skinny guys that run a lot of, uh, marathons, it's not the best, but guys, it's more of a lifting and whatnot. They all joke about, you know, sm smoke a pack of cigarettes, eat a che cheeseburger a day and lift a lot of weights and you'll be a great aerobatic pilot nice. <laughs> because of the high, the high blood pressure, you know? Sure. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not too bad. And the other thing is like, all the G's are very short, short term G's. It's not like flying sure. a fighter jet that has that much thrust to have that high level G sustained for a period of time. 
Yeah, so, you're not 30 seconds coming around the corner. It's uh, more like five. I'd be stalling and spinning into the ground by then. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it always looked like an absolute blast. It was just something that I never had the opportunity to do. Um, and yeah. I mean, flying jumpers was always pretty challenging anyway. And uh, of course, I'll never admit to uh, um, potentially being in more than the uh, uh, recommended bank angle in a pack 750 or a twin otter. Uh, but if I had been there, it would have been a really cool experience. Yeah. You were just practicing your steep turns. That's it. You know, just slightly steeper than normal. I mean, actually, it was degrees of bank. What were the rules? 60 degrees of bank, 15 degrees of pitch or something. Like something like that. Yeah. It, you know, it <laughs> was kind weird. of, it was kind of funny as, as uh, um, the, uh, some of the drop zones that I've gotten to uh, have gone through higher end training and you, you're doing a proper check ride, um, but it's a bunch of jump pilots doing the check rides. It's very easy to find yourself well past the recommended bank angle for <laughs> steep turns completely comfortable trimmed out not even touching the throttles going oh we're not supposed to be at 60 this isn't a 60 degree oh okay yeah Yeah. (laughs) you know yeah this kind of happens it it, it, sometimes it does you know yeah yeah, yeah. well shit so so um potentially uh continuing on definitely continuing on with the aerobatic training hopefully getting back in the air with skydiving it doesn't sound like you're going to slow down anytime too soon no hope not uh, the body feels like it's getting a little bit older, but the mind is still. Oh, fuck well off, back. man. <laughs> I would I'd say things are changing, though. Uh, you know, like, shoot, you know, I had a, I had a second rig that was just for for wingsuiting. Um, that's being sold this week. Yeah, um, there's just not at some point you have to be realistic with your goals. Sure. And the training and the discipline that goes into some of these um, disciplines within skydiving and. I was doing wingsuiting. I loved wingsuiting with my buddies around Dubai. There's just not as many people, you know, here in Colorado. Um, And I just don't have the time to keep up with that level of proficiency. Sure. To to be doing any like wingsuit based jumping or anything like that. Sure. And I haven't jumped that rig since I moved home. So, you know, I'm slowly starting to have to admit the fact that uh, there's just not enough time and, and you have to respect it, man, as you know. Oh yeah. uh, and, and our buddies were at the absolute top of the sport and she'll bite you in the ass. Oh, absolutely. And, and I have no business um, trying to keep up with all that. Oh yeah. No, I mean, so, I'm, I'm well into the upsizing phase of my yeah. skydiving career, you know, double digit canopies are in my past <laughs> and I'm fine with that. I have zero issue with that. And the, the, and I'm sure you'll you'll agree the biggest benefit to skydiving is n- it's a very small percentage of it is actually the jumps. It's the community yeah. that we get to be a part of. And I, I had a friend recently post on Facebook that uh, um, due to considerations with family and children and stuff, he was going to he was going to walk away from skydiving. And my immediate response was, you're a skydiver for life, even if you never jump again. You know, I mean. Yeah. We're always going to have this amazing community of people that we've got a very unique link to. Cause as you said, at the beginning of the podcast, we operate on a slightly different wavelength. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. a little different. 
Now, um, as we get towards the end, I, I usually like to ask people what advice you have to people. But being as how the majority of our chat was more uh, aviation based, if we've got any listeners that are young in the sport and young in aviation and they're thinking about trying to take a similar path, what tips do you have for the budding pilot that's you know maybe thinking about flying or they're 100 hours in wondering if hitting that 250 mark is worth it? Yeah, good question. Um, my biggest thing would be just uh, enjoy the journey and the process and, and respect it. Um, mm. You know, in, in both, in, in both aviation and um, skydiving, you know, especially with our personalities and egos, we always want the next best thing. We want to fly the next bigger airplane. We want the multi-engine airplane. We want the turbine airplane. We want to get hired at the first airline. We want to fly a 747. And when you finally start to realize and achieve all these things, a lot of times you just want to go backwards and just go, I just want to go tinker around in a 152 and have nobody tell me what to do or where to fly. Or, or you know what I mean? Like just oh, enjoy, yeah. enjoy that process. And the same thing with skydiving. Um, the whole progression with downsizing canopies and whatnot. Enjoy the process. Take your time. Don't rush. You know mm. what I mean? Because before you know it, you know, you'll be, you know, our age looking back on it and just being like, what, what was the, the rush? You know, um, nobody cared what canopy I was flying or what you can do or what you can't do. But what does bite you in the ass later is the injuries or possibly the, the death or whatnot. And, and and losing the friends just uh oh yeah that's my biggest thing man just enjoy enjoy the journey because it's sure. one hell of an adventure and it's and it's beautiful and you only get you only get one shot at it so yeah i take, you know I, take your time i completely agree and it's it, looking back um on the entire time in the sport i'm glad that i went as slow as i did towards canopy stuff and and wasn't in a rush and and i kind of i found my own summit in that I decided very early on that the Twin Otter was my favorite fucking plane on the planet. And there's something to be said for having found that as early in my career as I did, because yeah. I really got to enjoy the living hell out of it. Uh, and I've yeah. said it a million times on the podcast, nobody was ever impressed with a single one of the swoops I ever did. <laughs> They were never going to be impressed with any of those. I was never a competition level Scott ever. I was just a good tandem instructor and I enjoyed jumping out of airplanes. And, and uh, there was something to be said for just being happy, enjoying the ride. That's it. And uh, you know, I guess on that, on the, on the personal relationship level, man, always just give those hugs, mm. do those handshakes, do those handshakes, tell your buddies you love them. You yeah. know what I mean? Don't, don't um don't hold those back because someday those homies aren't gonna possibly be with you anymore sure and uh, well just wanted to that that's something that's a lesson that the the young skydivers absolutely need to learn right off the bat uh the, the folks that have been around a while know that uh loss is inherently a part of our sport uh, even if it's not happening in skydiving, so many of our skydiving brothers and sisters are also base jumpers, um, which is pushing that next level. And somebody asked me years ago uh, when I had lost another friend, uh, why I didn't just, why don't you just leave that sport? You, you've you know had so many losses in your life. And I'm like, 
I'm going to continue to lose friends for the rest of my life because I've been such a, you know, this community has been such a huge part of my life. That's never going to stop. So I might as well keep on going and keep making these amazing friendships because, man, I consider myself extremely lucky for having even been able to meet these people in the first place. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for anything. No, fuck no. It's not it's not easy. And, you know, the the more folks we lose, you kind of what was it that one summer like? shit like three or four years ago man like it was oh, just yeah. a gruesome summer up in the valley and it was like literally every fucking day like one or two guys were going in and it was like but that that was starting to get tough and it it, it started to make you a little bit callous and just be like fuck i just got to get off social media sure like i literally watched a dude go in live on on facebook you know he's sitting there taking a video of himself and you know puts it puts it in a zipper on his wingsuit and he goes in and you can hear the cow, the cowbells in the Valley walking up to him to see what was going on, you know? And it was just like, Holy shit, guys, let's just slow it down a little bit on the social media and the YouTube and doing the next greatest thing that we're all killing each other off. You know, it's, it gets tough. Now going back to what you said, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, trade it because the memories and the friendships and the the hugs and the connections with these people it's not normal no well it's 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 very much a um a a foxhole kind of friendship right i mean you you have extremely close bonds extremely quickly because inherently we all know what we're doing is dangerous but it's also really fucking fun and that's a bond that most people don't ever get to experience yeah yeah, absolutely. It's uh happens in this little oh, bit yeah. in the military, a little bit in the flying business. You know what I mean? Well, but, I mean uh, it's it's one of the reasons why I I, I don't think you and I have talked face to face for two and a half years. Actually, no, we saw each other in sure. Dubai briefly, but otherwise haven't had a chance to sit down and shoot the shit for a few years. And two messages later, I've got you on the podcast. I mean, how yeah. fucking how cool is that? It's and, yeah. and it's it's a uh, it's great to know. And you've got the same thing. There's not a country on the planet I don't have a sofa that I can go crash on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. It's yeah. We just pick up like uh, we're just sitting in the airplane or sitting around the DZ shooting the shit. You know, a that's couple it. Years ago, DZ work. It's the way it's supposed so, to be, man. Look. Yeah. I thank you so much for taking time out of your day to sit down and talk to me, man. This has been fantastic. I say, hey, man, it's uh, I've never been on a podcast before, so I was humbled and honored to be a part of it, man. Thanks for even thinking of me and inviting me. Oh, absolutely. And and, uh, I'll tell you, if I'm in Colorado, I'm looking you up. And if you're in Finland, you better come this way. Absolutely, man. All right, brother. Take care. All right. Thank you. Bye bye. And there you have it. Another episode of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void brought to you as always by, and say it with me, fuck yeah, NZ Aerosports. Head to nzaerosports.com. By Pussfoot. That's right. Head to Pussfoot.com, the extreme sports collective, and check out everything they've got to offer. By SummitParachuteSystems.com. Jarrett Martin and the family cranking out amazing pilot rigs, as well as incredible rigging courses. And now joining the Lunatic team, it's the one and only Tony Suits. You know them, you love them. Head to TonySuit.com. Check out all the amazing standards, as well as the new incredible signature line they've got going on. And as for us, the Lunatic Fringe is now 
now on YouTube. That's right, you're going to have the chance to put faces to the audio by heading to YouTube.com and looking up the Lunatic Fringe podcast. It's easy. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, check out all the amazing videos from the previous guests that we've had, as well as new and upcoming interviews on video. As always, I am the fucking pilot. Head to thefuckingpilot.net or theprincesspilot.com. Thanks for joining. We'll see you next time around.